when the governor mandated masking, that took, uh, you know, just it made things just so much easier, so much cleaner. A big part of what we do, uh, both in the pediatric service line and the entities like Northwell Direct, is sharing the guidance, you know, that comes down from the state health department, down from uh, the education department, and ha working with each district in terms of how they can implement that guidance best in their district. Welcome to 20-Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle, and two special guests we have today is Dr. Charles Schlein. He's the chair of Northwell's Pediatrics, which includes an expansive ambulatory network in Cohen Children's Medical Center that is consistently ranked among the best children's hospital in the United States. And Dr. Donald, uh, Dr. David Fagan, not Donald Fagan from Steely Dan, is the vice chair of Pediatric Ambulatory Administration for Cohen Children's Medical Center. Thank you so much for joining us. A year ago, we started this podcast, 20-Minute Health Talk, our second second episode was children returning to school. We didn't have a vaccine then. We have a vaccine now, but we're still seeing some problems. Just tell us what we're seeing here compared to other parts of the country. Well, I think we're in a much better place than most of you know the country if you look at infection rates by region, right? So, um, you know, we're low. We're the lowest. Northeast is the lowest. Um, so in terms of going back to school, our kids are in uh, in a much better place than than in many other parts of the country. Having said that, the vaccine is approved for children 12 and up, right? So we have kids from kindergarten through 12 years of age who cannot get vaccinated. And that's obviously, at this point, a, a big issue. Yeah. And Dr. Schlein, I mean, there was a lot of talk in the beginning that, that COVID really didn't affect kids. But now with this Delta variant, what are we seeing? You know, all along, what was obvious was that symptoms in kids were much lower than they been in adults. And what's happened with the Delta variant is that the numbers are so huge. It is so much more contagious than the previous uh, renditions of COVID-19 that the same percentage of kids more than likely are getting the virus. And you're just seeing more kids with symptoms. What has become clear with this variant is that kids are clearly serving as the reservoir of disease in many cases, spreading it through families, which is, you know, obviously the huge fear going back to school and having all the kids together and then like wildfire, um, you know, having symptoms uh, and spreading COVID among families and, you know, friends, et cetera. Yeah, so, just to, uh, it's, it's an issue. Yeah, I was just going to say to put some numbers around uh, what Dr. Schlein just said. If you go back to like the beginning of July, even second week in July, when Delta really just started creeping up, there were 32,000 new COVID cases in children in, in that week, right? So last week, it was 200,000 newly diagnosed cases in children last week. Wow. I mean, it shows you how contagious this variant is. If we think back to the last school year, and even uh, when kids started to return to school, which was more common, you know, uh, after, after the peak in January, February, 
we we saw that schools were were safe, right? The the transmission rate within schools was across the board lower than in the community that that school existed. So the measures that districts put in place, and we've gone through them, you know, time and time again, proved to be effective. And that's what, you know, we're reminding the districts and the parents about, um, that schools can be safe, right? You know, they put up plexiglass dividers. They kept kids in the room and limited movement between classes, eating lunch at your desk as opposed to the cafeteria, more outside time, you know, wherever possible. And then, you know, uh, routine symptom checking, uh, contract tracing when, when indicated. So one thing, so I, I've spent a fair amount of time, again, reminding families, reminding school administration officials that what you did last year worked. And, you know, we need to stay, we need to stay the course. And it's, it's simple, as Dr. Schlein said earlier, we have we have masks and we have vaccines, by and large. You know, social distancing and hand hygiene, obviously super important, but 1A and 1B are vaccines and, and uh, masks. Yeah, and, you know, here in New York, school just started. Um, but in other parts of the country, other states, school started earlier in July. And there's already been, uh, according to my notes, at least 1,000 schools across 31 states that have closed uh, since the school year began because of, of COVID and, and, and namely, I guess, the, the Delta variant. Um, so Dr. Schlein said kids 12 and up can get vaccinated. It seems like a simple formula, right? If you're 12 and up, get vaccinated. And if you're not... Masks. The the governor here in New York, Kathy Hochul, put in a, a mask mandate for schools. Is that the right thing to do? Well, yeah. it's, go ahead. It's clearly the right thing to do. We we know still that uh, masks are the major uh, the major prevention, other than vaccine, obviously, to stop the spread of the virus. If schools are getting creative. Um, you know, traditionally you think of a school day as whatever, eight o'clock to three o'clock, but schools, especially schools that have uh, issues with with crowding, you know, the building is not equipped to handle the number of students in the school, uh, have gotten creative in terms of lengthening the school day. So the school day now may start at 7, 7.15 in the morning and go till 5 or 5.15 in the afternoon. So not the entirety of the student population is in the building at any one time and, you know, to help uh, um, try to maintain social distancing and, and reduce the, the crowding. Yeah. I want to get back to masks in, in a few minutes, but, but while we're on this subject, Northwell has this great company, Northwell Direct, that's helping schools and businesses get, um, you know, get back into the classroom, get back into the office. What, what, what are we doing to help schools be safe? Well, I think is, you know, you mentioned earlier, when the governor mandated masking, that took, uh, you know, just it made things just so much easier, so much cleaner. Um, uh, you know, what's Northwell Direct doing? Obviously, it's part of, a big part of what we do, uh, both in the pediatric service line and the entities like Northwell Direct, is sharing the guidance, you know, that comes down from the state health department, down from uh, the education department and working with each district in terms of how they can implement that guidance best in their district. 
So we're getting back to masks, right? So this this is it's hard to believe, but there's a big fight against masks. And and you wrote an article, Dr. Fagan, um, dispelling or de- debunking some of the 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 falsehoods of the myths about masks. So one of the things that that, that parents were afraid of that the masks trap carbon dioxide and that children uh, will breathe their own carbon dioxide and they might get sick from that. Right. So <laughs> there's there's no literature to support that that myth and that that is a myth and. Uh, I think Dr. Schlein, as I shared with you earlier, Robert, spent many, many hours behind a mask in his uh, pediatric anesthesia days. Isn't that right, Charlie? That's right. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it is a little bit silly. You know, the reality is if we were wearing masks that had great seals and had no access to the outside, that could be an issue. But that's not the that's that's not what we're wearing. You know, the paper masks with uh, an egress to the outside world, which is true a hundred percent of the time, makes it impossible, as Dr. Fagan said, to rebreathe carbon dioxide. And frankly, even if you were rebreathing small amounts of carbon dioxide, uh, uh, it's not going to do anything to you. So it, it, it really is a myth. Okay. And here's another, is it, what about this one? What about, you know, I don't want my kid to wear a mask because he has asthma and he might not be able to breathe properly. So, uh, that is also a myth. You know, we have not seen any type of uptick in asthma exacerbations. Uh, in fact, our most, we've actually had a very mild last 12 to 18 months in terms of asthma exacerbations because probably the, one of the biggest triggers for asthma are, are viral illnesses. And as, uh, again, Dr. Schlein is, is fond of saying, we've basically cured pediatric infectious diseases by wearing masks with the exception of COVID. Yeah. And when you say that pediatric, explain on that, the pediatric diseases that have been kind of cured from... Yeah, so like last, you know, we didn't have a we didn't have an influenza season. Um, we had really no cases, very few cases of RSV, respiratory syncytial virus, and that's typically a winter time uh, illness. And uh, we've act, we're actually seeing RSV now, right, Charlie, in, in the hospital. Yeah, what's really been interesting is the children's hospital has been quite busy for the last month, month and a half or so not with patients with COVID. I mean, most of the kids have still been very, fairly mild in our region. We'll get back to that in a moment. But we've had this collision of both winter and summer disease. So uh, as David just said, you know, cases of bronchiolitis due to RSV, um, babies with diarrhea, which is, not a, which is not an airborne thing, but just contact, um, is occurring. We're seeing all the stuff we typically see during the winter, while at the same time, we're seeing the summer diseases, both infections, you know, the increase in trauma that you're going to see when the kids are out playing in camp uh, and all. So it's really led to a very busy time for children's hospitals across the country, including our own, um, you know, in a way that really is unprecedented. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of amazing, like when you think of schools and, and especially maybe for the younger kids, I mean, kids, you know, germs spread pretty fast in school. They normally do. It almost seems like masks maybe <laughs> could have been a good idea years ago and even before COVID. Yeah. Um, it, you know, like we, we just didn't like our, our, our acute visit volume was was 
was down significantly, um, and we're making up for it now when it's t- typically ne- this time of year all we're doing is checkups, but this year we're doing our checkups and all our uh, all these acute visits for these viral illnesses because kids are outside. They're not wearing masks necessarily outside, and they are these viruses have been just lurking and waiting, and they're spreading them around. Yeah. When we get back to COVID, you know, we heard in the beginning, you know, it was mostly uh, elderly people who were, were most at risk uh, of getting serious complications from it. And that children were, were relatively healthy if they did get COVID and kill, children weren't getting a lot of cases of COVID. What is the latest research telling us about how COVID is affecting uh, children now? I, I think proportionally, things are probably about the same in terms of the number of cases. What has been interesting, however, couple of things. One, and, and Rob, going back to a point you made earlier, outside of our region, um, and I've spoken with many of my colleagues in children's hospitals around the country, particularly those in the Deep South, in Florida, in Texas, and they are inundated, those hospitals, those children's hospitals, with children, with COVID including some very severe complications of COVID. Um, And these are not all children with comorbidities, immunosuppression. Some of them are children who were previously perfectly healthy. So we we clearly are seeing disease, but again, um, it tends to be milder. Now, the other thing that's been more controversial, and there was a, there was a paper written in Nature um, not too long ago, actually looking at long haulers in children. And there is a fear. I mean, there are a number of kids, and we've seen them, and I know David probably speak to it since he sees patients in the primary care uh, environment, but we've seen kids who are complaining of headaches, you know, weeks, uh, even a couple of months later, uh, they seem to have a little bit of brain fog in terms of the way adults relate to it, in terms of fatigue, a little bit of lethargy. Um, and then some of them are having very long cold-like symptoms, you know, again, a, a symptom that we're seeing in adults. So I, I don't think, you know, the bottom line is not it. Um, and, you know, there are many who are looking at this to determine the answer to that question. You know, and then we're seeing MISC again. Um, again, not a lot locally, but uh, again, around the country, uh, you know, four to six weeks after the initial infection. And there are kids coming in with uh, this post-infectious disease, you know, MISC, which, you know, we were the, one of the first to describe back last April of 2020. And, um, you know, and many of them have some cardiac disease. Most of them get better with therapy, but if kids are showing symptoms that are unusual, parents need to bring those kids in to seek medical attention. If you think about it, it's exactly the, we could play a tape of last year's show. I remember (laughs) saying exactly the same words then. Yeah, and I think that's what's scary about about COVID and the the Delta variant, and I don't know if there's any other new variants, you know, that are out there. But there's so much we don't know about it, and 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 we don't know what's going to happen down the road. So, like, if you have a ch- if there's a choice of getting it or not getting it, you want to be on the side of nowhere near getting it, right? I mean, to take every precaution against getting it. Yeah, it's not like you know if we had a, a, a another viral illness where I can confidently 
tell a family, this is the expected course duration. These are the symptoms you should expect. But with COVID, there's no textbook <laughs> case, you know. I've had I've had kids, uh, as Charlie mentioned, just mild symptoms. And I've had kids who I've talked to, and it's two months later, and they're still, like, a little foggy and don't have the same energy, stamina. And these are kids, by and large, uh, who weren't, you know, obviously not hospitalized, but, you know, who had a case that... It wasn't severe enough that they need to be hospitalized, but there are plenty of kids with long, long-term uh, symptoms, which you know, which is scary. So, whatever you can do to prevent yourself from getting it, right? You know, it's interesting too. And we see a lot of this debate, and it's a lot of parents that are getting very angry about their kids. But kids seem to be okay. Like to even like if a kid, if a kid is two years old, they can put a mask on, and they seem to be pretty good with it. Yeah, it's it's uh, and, and I. I this is something I subscribe to that that children in in many cases feed off their parents, right? So if a parent is super anxious about a child getting a vaccination, that child tends to be super anxious. And if a parent is is on board with masking and why we need to do that, the the kids by and large cooperate. It's it's you know, you can't Okay, tomorrow's your first day of school. This is a mask. You have to put it on now. No, that's not, you know, that's not going to work. But by working in advance with your child on this, and even the younger kids, I tell parents all the time, what's her favorite stuffed animal? Whatever. Put a mask on the stuffed animal and, and you know, model that behavior for the child. So I agree with you, Rob. Um, <laughs> Many times it's not the kids. Right, sure. Um, you know, so we talk about vaccines. So, so what are you hearing about, you know, so we're up to, to kids 12 and up. When do we think that, what's the next age group, 6 to 12, and when do we expect that? So Pfizer, from what, the, the most recent thing I heard, and this was from the CEO of Pfizer, he was on, I think, Face the Nation. They hope to have their data on the 6 to 11-year-old submitted to the FDA by the end of this month or early October. Wow. And then, obviously, the FDA has to analyze that data and, uh, you know, potentially uh, grant an EUA for that, that age group. And I don't know if Charlie has more to add on that. Yeah, I, you know, I think what is interesting um, and what people don't realize is – you know, they're saying, well, you know, why, why can't this, why can't this come out faster? Because under 12 years old, what happened, all the companies are doing this, you, they needed to do, figure out dosing because it's pretty clear. We're not going to give, you know, an eight year old the same dose necessarily as an adult. It may turn out that way. So, there were different cohorts. And in fact, the age cohort for each company was actually slightly different. Um, so the J&J testing um, was actually a little different than six to through 11. Um, and they're using three age cutoffs. So it's going, to, it's going to happen gradually. I mean, we're hoping to have emergency authorization before the end of the calendar year. We're September, which means, you know, we may still have another two or three or four months until we see that kind of uh, emergency approval for that older cohort, you know, whether it turns out to be eight to 12 or, or seven to 12 or younger. But um, 
you know, we'll see. So that's really what we're expecting. And then we're not expecting the, the companies, both, I know Pfizer and J&J, I, I'm not sure about Moderna, but testing down to six months of age. So um, we could theoretically uh, have approval on vaccines sometime in 2022 down to down to infants. Great. Well, Dr. Fagan, Dr. Schlein, thank you so much for joining us here on 20 Minute Health Talk. And thank you for tuning in. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day. Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.